The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thanks and welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Those Civil War battlefields that we all like to visit, they don't preserve themselves. Now, we all know that. We know that groups like Civil War Preservation Trust have to raise money to buy them, and then the National Park Service has to maintain and interpret them. But we sometimes forget that not all Civil War sites are federal sites. Much of what we value about the past is protected at the state level, and that's a story we don't often hear. But we will hear it tonight from Keith A. Hardison, Director of North Carolina Historic Sites on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu Edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you this evening as most Wednesday evenings nowadays from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. It's dark out. It's October 8th, anniversary of the Battle of Perryville, uh, and the autumn days are getting shorter. So while it is dark, it's still very pleasant. It's a lovely evening here in Greenville. Uh, Good day. Would be a good day to go out running and so on. Uh, But, you know, as Civil War historians get older, it becomes less possible to do everything we want to do. I've been playing adult soccer this past 
season and my knee has been troubling me more and more and finally went to the doctor last week and got an x-ray turned out uh x-ray was fine he said i wish wished his knee looked as good inside ligaments are fine but there's still something troubling about it and i have not figured that out so i'm having an mri tomorrow and by this time next week we'll know what the heck's going on why it hurts to do the simplest things. The silver lining is I have never been a more effective player in my adult life than the last few weeks when I've been playing with extreme caution and care. Just make the simple pass to the open player. Don't try anything fancy. Don't hurt the knee any worse. Turns out the simple pass to the open player is what I should have been doing for the last 40 years. It's, it's the fundamental right move. Anyway, uh, hopefully not too late to learn that. When not... Uh, if it turns out I'm not going to be doing that, I'll spend more time sitting down reading about the Civil War so we can talk about it here on the show. Lots of interesting shows coming up in the weeks ahead. Uh, Mark Gaffney at www.impedimentsofwar.org keeps us informed as to who's coming up next. We've got uh, Brigadier General Jack Mountcastle, retired U.S. Army officer, will be with us next week. He leads battlefield tours of Civil War sites. He's served as Chief of Military History. We'll have Jamie Malinowski the following week, October 22nd. His brand new book just arrived this week. I had the advanced copy, but now the real one is out. Commander Will Cushing, Daredevil Hero of the Civil War. October 29th, uh, William Still, founder of the East Carolina University Maritime Studies Program. Uh, the combination of history and archaeology that studies Civil War shipwrecks and other shipwrecks. He's also written about Confederate ironclads. We'll talk uh, with Bill Still. In November, Caroline Janey at Purdue will be with us to talk about memories of the Civil War. On October, I'm sorry, November 12th, Michael Stevenson has a new book called The Life and Death of the Soldier, published by the Smithsonian, and it includes uh, a stereoscopic viewer and uh, stereoscope images of the Civil War. Quite an interesting piece. He's written some other things as well that we'll talk about. And then November 19, Leslie Gordon, old friend of the show, rejoins us with her new book on the 16th Connecticut uh, Regiment. Then... Where does that take us? That gets us up to Thanksgiving. We'll take a break there. More shows coming up after that before the end of the semester. So please stay tuned. Listen. When you hear something interesting, if you click on the link on the Impediments of War webpage to get to Amazon and buy the book, that sends a few valuable pennies to the website and helps us keep it intact. There are also ways to donate to the show on the website buttons you can click and send a donation through PayPal. It is, as my inside lawyer voice reminds me to say, not a donation to a charity. It's just a gift to someone who has nothing better to do than talk to you about Civil War day and night. Uh, I had a pleasant experience ordering some Civil War-related or military history-related materials last weekend uh, from uh, Brent Oman, who publishes uh, various uh, military game materials, and he was kind enough to say, oh, I was listening to your show just just recently, and, and sent me a free PDF of his latest work. Uh, 
Uh, it was a nice thank you and much appreciated. Good to know someone is listening. Uh, I know my mother is listening. I know a few others of you are out listening live, and a lot of others download it later and listen through the many, many other portals, uh, iTunes and TuneIn and Stitcher and all the others. Well, enough about the show. Let's get on with our guest tonight. We welcome Keith Hardison to the show. He is uh, North Carolina's uh, director, I'm going to get the title exactly right, director of historical, uh, NC historical sites, historic sites, not historical sites, I know that. Uh, and we'll find out how he got there and what he does there and what the historic sites are in the old North State. Keith, are you there? Good evening. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh hope you are as well. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the program. Well, well, thank you. It's good of you to be here. Um, I'm trying to recall where I came across your name. I certainly look often enough at uh, historic materials related to the uh, Department of Cultural Resources, but when I saw your biography and saw some of the places that you've worked, I thought, I've got to talk to this person. I think you actually, have you spoken to maybe the Raleigh Roundtable in the last year? Yes, I that- have. I have uh, made several presentations to roundtables, including uh, uh, the one in Raleigh. But I think I, I saw their uh, publication, and that's where where your name crossed my eye. Yeah, must invite him to the show. So you you at one time were uh, executive director at the Jefferson Davis Home. That's correct. Uh, I uh, was there from about uh, eighty six to ninety nine. And what? Uh, how, how did you get there? I, I'm always curious about people's career paths. What what brought you? Did you have a long time interest in the Civil War before that? Uh, yes, I really did. Uh, I can trace my uh, interest uh, in the war to when I was a child. Uh, I was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, in December of 1964, when I was nine years old, uh, there was the centennial uh, edition of the newspaper that came out with stories about the Battle of Nashville. And uh, I spent uh, part of my growing up uh, years on the actual battlefield, of course, which is now largely subdivisions and businesses. But... uh, I guess the bug bit me then and has never let me go since. And uh, I went to a small liberal arts college and got a degree in history and then ultimately went to uh, graduate school and got a master's degree in museology. And for the last 30 years, I've been working in... Uh, the museum and historic site field throughout uh, the South, and uh, sometimes on the state side of things, and at other times on the nonprofit side of things. And uh, the Jefferson Davis Home was uh, on the nonprofit side of things. It was a great opportunity and a great challenge all at once to uh, tell the story of the man who's probably the most vilified man of the Civil War. Uh, I think unjustly so in many cases, but uh, uh, but that was a great uh, 
learning opportunity, great uh, career move, and I and I loved my job. It's there's something where almost no matter where one works, as you get into the subject, you discover the the, the fascination of it. My colleague, uh, retired colleague Don Collins here at East Carolina, wrote about the death and resurrection of Jefferson Davis. Yes. Uh, yes. Is Davis more? How did your visitors respond to Davis? Uh, did they regard him as a hero or a villain? Well, I, it tended to. We, we tended to have three responses, and uh, they were a function, for the most part, of geography and age. Uh, we had uh, uh, perhaps about a third of our visitors who uh, tended to be from north of the Mason-Dixon line who considered him a great uh, traitor, the ultimate traitor, if you will, to the United States. Uh, There was another third who uh, tended to be uh, born south of the Mason-Dixon line that uh, considered him uh, a hero of sorts. And uh, then there was another third whose response was, who? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the challenging third to to grab onto and uh, get them to to uh, get engaged with your your, yeah. your institution. So um, you've also worked at at Pamplin Park, which I find a fascinating place. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners have been there on the Petersburg battlefield. Uh, it's neither a nonprofit nor a state institution, but a, a private. Uh, privately run battlefield. How, yeah. how was that experience? Well, uh, at, at each stage in, in your career, when you think you have uh, done everything that's to be done or experienced uh, every variation, uh, you find that you really haven't. That was a unique experience. Uh, it was uh, something that, at least at the at the time that I was there, uh, I'm not sure about today, but I think it would, would stand today as very well funded and believed uh, uh, very much in the uh, uh, in the uh, promotion of experiential learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that from that standpoint, it was it was uh, it was a great uh, preservation of the battlefield. We opened uh, during my time there the uh, National Museum of the Civil War Soldier, uh, and there were some interesting technologies uh, and approaches in that museum that I think helped to uh, allow the visitor to place himself or herself in that sort of my, uh, mindset. Of, uh, of the war and the experiences of those who lived it. it, it it's still a wonderful museum. I was there this summer with a group, and uh, it, it's still very effective. Yes. But it, it it's a different model than so. So you at the Jefferson Davis House, you're in a nonprofit at Pamplin Park. You're in this really unique attempt to have a privately funded place, and you also. Uh, have worked for the state in Louisiana and North Carolina. Uh, yes, and, and uh, way on back a little bit for the state of Texas. Ah, so so uh, uh, I, I won't. I, I've belabored the listeners too many times in my opening remarks over the last uh, 
few years with the challenges, we'll put it gently, of working for the state of North Carolina uh, here at a state university in the last few years with the, the drastic budget cuts that we've faced. Yes. I, I, we can talk about that in a little more detail in the next segment, but did you face challenging environments like that in Texas and Louisiana as well? Uh, I did not per se in Texas, but that was has been many years ago in Louisiana. We did deal with the issue of uh, expanding demands and, and uh, shrinking support, uh, particularly uh, shrinking uh, support in terms of state appropriations, and that makes it uh, much more difficult to do a job that, uh, while it's really, really fun, is also very challenging uh, in terms of trying to preserve something that was never intended to last as long as it has, whether that be uh, earthworks at a battlefield or historic homes. And uh, then uh, when the money is, is reduced and then reduced again and then reduced again, as we have experienced in this economic downturn in the last few years, uh, it's... You feel a little bit, uh, after a while, like uh, Lee's line at Petersburg. It just keeps <laughs> being stretched and stretched and stretched to uh, uh, the breaking point, but yet we still have been able to hold so far. Well, that's a, a great metaphor. I will have to use that at the next faculty meeting, although, of course, uh, as every listener knows, the result is eventually you get it gets stretched to the breaking point, and uh, you know we, we well, haven't got there Well, it certainly was yet. the case with with uh, Lee, and I hope we don't mm-hmm. get there. But uh, you know, it's uh, these are challenging times. They are that. Um, these are also interesting times. Uh, in particular, at this very moment, there's a uh, an opportunity that has, has come to. Uh, North Carolina historic sites and what we'll do now is take a short break and come back and talk about what's going on at Bennett Place Uh, we'll do that in just a moment talking this evening with Keith Hardison, Director of North Carolina Historic Sites I'm Jerry Prokopovich and this is Civil War Talk Radio Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Keith Hardison, the director of North Carolina Historic Sites, part of the Department of Cultural Resources in the state of North Carolina. And we talked a little bit about uh, Mr. Hardison's varied career at many institutions, from the Jefferson Davis Home in Mississippi to Pamplin Park at the Petersburg Battlefield, uh, uh, eventually to uh, the NC Historic Sites uh, position. Keith, how did you get the what brought you to North Carolina? Well, I was uh, working at the time uh, it, uh, for the Louisiana State Museum System, and we had just completed uh, and opened the uh, Baton Rouge branch of the Louisiana State Museum. Uh, unlike uh, most states, the headquarters of the State Museum in Louisiana is not in the capital city. So we uh, uh, created and opened a 69,000-square-foot museum, uh, which included a number of things, uh, great things from the Civil War period, including uh, a Confederate submarine from that was dredged out of the bottom of Lake Pontchartrain. We had uh, Beauregard's original battle flag, uh, Kirby Smith's frock coat, those sorts of things. And uh, I had come to Louisiana specifically for that challenge, and uh, was looking for another. And this position came up in North Carolina. Uh, My family history goes back in North Carolina almost 300 years. And uh, while I wasn't born and raised here, uh, many of my family had been over uh, over the centuries. And so uh, I applied and... uh, uh, very thankfully, was uh, offered the position, and that was uh, in 2006, and I've been here ever since. Uh, I, I really I love, we have a beautiful state, rich in history, uh, and I absolutely love what I do. Well, that, that's, one of, that's a theme in common with uh, most people who practice public history, is we, we love what we do, uh, it, and it sustains us when uh, you know, resources are scarce, but... 
because every day is different. It's always interesting. It it does, and we have we're one of the professions that are blessed with knowing that what we do in the preservation and interpretation of history uh, will outlive us if if mm-hmm. we uh, do a good job of it, and so we're sort of uh, building a legacy. For the future, both both individually and institutionally, organizationally, and uh, that uh, has its own rewards. It, it it very much does. Uh, education, uh, you know, certainly provides some of the same in the sense that we we are creating a legacy, a living legacy of people who learn about the things we teach, right. whether we do it in in public history sites or in the classroom. Well, one particular legacy from the Civil War that I want to ask you about is uh, Bennett Place, the uh, the site of the, the last major surrender. It's been in the headlines here lately. Uh, tell us what's going on at Bennett Place. Well, of course, we are in our, in our sesquicentennial period, and uh, as a part of that, we're not only uh, doing public programs, but we're looking to... Uh, basically develop protective buffers and or as circumstances warrant to actually expand some of these sites uh, because the historic lands uh, uh, have been uh, converted over the years to residential and urban and industrial environments. And there is a couple of, uh, there is a uh, parcel of a couple of acres opposite uh, to the north side of uh, Bennett Place that came on the market uh, a few months ago, and we have been working to see what we can do to acquire that uh, uh, two-acre parcel. It's significant to us for several reasons. Uh, First, a portion of the uh, old Hillsborough Road, which was used by both Generals Sherman and Johnston, uh, crosses that track. Uh, the track is also a part of the original uh, Bennett family farm where the surrender negotiations took, took place. And based on our research, we believe that that uh, plot is where General Johnston's escort uh, took their uh, ease, if you will, waiting during the uh, surrender negotiations. And of course, then, fourthly, it provides an excellent buffer to uh, the site of the reconstructed house, kitchen, and the Unity Monument. As I remarked to someone today, and I was just over it, uh, <coughs> it had been at place today, that we don't want our visitors exiting the home where the surrender negotiations took place. Uh, only to view a light industrial site. Uh, we don't we don't have that now, and uh, we don't want that in the vicinity, in the viewshed, if you will, of Bennett Place. Uh, our goal is to not only maintain a uh, uh, the histo- uh, a historic area that is as pristine as we can make it. But we try to provide, if you will, uh, a vegetative cocoon, 
in which to house that uh, core historic area so that it maintains uh, its look, its feel, and therefore can maximize the visitor experience. Uh, So we have a great opportunity. Uh, The only problem is... Uh, the state has very limited funds to do this. We applied for a grant, and uh, we were very hopeful for that grant, but were ultimately unsuccessful. And so we have moved into Plan B, and we are seeking to raise very quickly, uh, in the best way we know how, $310,000 uh, to secure that property for posterity and for uh, residents and visitors to the state as a means of preserving that history. So if uh, listeners are interested in contributing to this, is, is there a, a place they can find out more about it or a place to, to contact or send funds? Absolutely. They can, uh, they can go to nchistoricsites.org, just like it. Like it sounds, all lowercase, NC Historic Sites, one word, dot O-R-G, and then click on the uh, list that says Bennett Place, and all of the information will be provided there as to uh, the nature of the parcel, where it's located, and how individuals can help. We've been getting uh, uh, checks both large and small, several uh, each day since we have put this in the press. Uh, we're making good progress, but we've got a long way to go. Well, listeners, if you were thinking of sending yet another donation my way to help with the book fund here uh, this week, at least, uh, consider the Bennett Place Support Fund uh, yeah. at, at nchistoricsites.org. Uh, there, that's where you want to go and find out how you can support the uh, the acquisition of Bennett Place, so so the acquisition of the the neighboring parcel to Bennett Place, so that you protect, uh, as you put it, Keith, the, the view shed, the experience. Anyone who's been to uh, the White House of the Confederacy knows what happens when an urban area grows up around a historic site, uh, and and it's hard to maintain the. Uh, the the feeling the the immersion in the 19th century when you come out and you're in the middle of a large modern city with uh, you know industry or residences or businesses all around uh, and if if Bennett Place could be protected shielded from that it would certainly enhance the uh, the experience of going there so I hope listeners will contribute to this effort and support uh, support this. Uh, Absolutely, we can use all the help we can get, and of course what we do in preserving historic sites, Civil War and otherwise, is we are fostering uh, an education program of place-based learning. Our biggest artifact at our historic sites are are the sites themselves. Let me ask you about that then. How, how many sites do you administer in, in NC Historic Sites? We have uh, in our system 24 historic sites that spread from uh, the Asheville area down to the Wilmington area. 
and we cover about 14,000 years of North Carolina history. Of those sites, five are what we would classify as principal Civil War sites, uh, Fort Fisher, uh, Fort uh, Anderson in Brunswick Town, uh, down near Southport. We have the CSS News, new interpretive center that we're uh, working on opening at uh, in Kinston. Benton Bowl Battlefield near Newton Grove. We also have the Zebulon Vance home at Weaverville just outside of Asheville. And then we have a number of other stories, or a number of other sites, I should say, that have important Civil War stories. We have two plantation sites, uh, Historic Stagville in Durham, and Somerset Plantation at, at Creswell on the way to the Outer Banks, uh, other sites, such as Historic Edenton, have uh, stories like the Bell Battery. Uh, we also uh, have uh, Duke Homestead. We're going to do a re- very interesting uh, sort of reenactment, if you will, about involving the war aspect of Duke Homestead that uh, many people would not know about. And, of course, we interpret uh, and administer the North Carolina State Capitol which has a very strong Civil War story. So a lot of things spread across the state. Um, it would be a, a sort of an unfair question, like asking people about their, their favorite child, if you have a favorite among the Civil War sites, but but I'll go ahead and ask it anyway. Uh, is there one that, that gives you a particular uh, response when you visit? Well, they all do. I like them all. Now, I must uh, confess that I've spent I've spent some time at uh, at Fort Fisher, of course, the first first national historic landmark in North Carolina. The site of uh, two engagements in the fall of Fort Fisher, of course, led to the fall of Wilmington, the end of uh, uh, the end of the uh, blockade running and therefore the ultimate uh, uh, demise of Lee's army in the Confederacy because of uh, Lee having to move to find supplies with the Wilmington and Weldon Railroad cut. Uh, We have Fort Anderson, uh, which is probably the best preserved earthen coastal fortification in the United States. Um... We have uh, Bentonville Battlefield, the last major uh, offensive movement of the Confederacy. Uh, We are continuing. You were talking about land. We're working vigorously with the Civil War Trust. At the time of the Civil War centennial, the state of North Carolina controlled 50 acres of the 6,000-acre Bentonville Battlefield. Uh, Today... We control over 2,100 and have just acquired three new parcels. Uh, Our goal is to preserve as much of that battlefield as possible. Um, I will have to admit that uh, having had 10 ancestors in the Army of Tennessee, that strikes not only uh, Bentonville as well as I would say Bennett Place as well, strike both a professional and very personal chord with me. Uh, 
so they're they're special to me in that way. I have to say though that uh, the CSS uh, noose uh, in Kinston, which we have been uh, working on very vigorously uh, for a number of years, and particularly the last <laughs> last four or five, to get funding and to uh, preserve. Uh, that 107-ton artifact uh, is very special to me, and, and uh, we've had very good working relations in that community as they build build a heritage tourism base there. And then, of course, there is Vance Birthplace. It uh, is one of the most beautiful sites within our system uh, in a rural mountain valley. And then again, when you talk about North Carolina and Civil War and ask the average person to name an individual connected with it, uh, more often than not, that individual says Zeb Vance. And so well, they're, all, uh, they're all very special places. Each one has, if you will, its own sort of feel or vibe. And history was, history was made in each one. As we like to say in historic sites, unlike a museum experience, and we have very fine museums in this state, particularly the North Carolina Museum of History, uh, in the, in, at historic sites, you don't get all of your history at one place. We're literally like a string of pearls that independently those pearls have a certain beauty all their own. But their beauty and their meaning and their utility is magnified by being linked together. And that's precisely what we do at uh, North Carolina Historic Sites. And we promote uh, folks looking at our sites either geographically or topically. If you're interested in Civil War, if you're interested in African American history, if you're interested in Revolutionary War or industrialization or whatever it might be, uh, we have developed uh, materials and means by which you can literally go through the state following a, a uh, geographic path or following a topical trail. Well, this has me wanting to uh, you know, get in my car tonight. It's already dark out, so I'll have to wait maybe till the morning and... Uh, just start driving around, even you know, within driving distance of uh, easy driving distance of Greenville, or a lot of the places you've mentioned. Uh, most of which I'm happy to say I've been to. If you, I will not admit which ones I have yet to see, but uh, look forward very much to seeing. We're going to take another short break. We'll come back uh, in a minute or so and talk more with Keith Hardison, director of NC Historic Sites here in North Carolina. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Keith Hardison of North Carolina Historic Sites. We've been talking about the numerous Civil War sites across the state of North Carolina, uh, from uh, the Bentonville Bentonville Battlefield to the uh, Bennett Place, the site of Johnston's surrender to Sherman, which uh, there is now an opportunity here, uh, if you've downloaded this later, it's mid-October 2014, and if you're listening and it's still October 2014, go right away to nchistoricsites.org and find out how you can contribute to the purchase of additional land at Bennett Place that is on the market. It's a fleeting opportunity, and it would be a great uh, contribution to Civil War history if uh, a state could acquire this land. So uh, here's a chance to help out and Take the pennies you've been saving for Civil War Talk Radio and donate them over there. If it's after October, too late. Then you can send them to me after all. But, uh, Keith, you mentioned some of the, the sites. You, you went through a list of them, uh, really interesting places. I wanted to ask you about uh, some specific ones. The CSS Noose, the, yes. the, the landlocked ironclad uh, that was built and never never got to sea, never made it uh beyond the Noose River and not very far from where it was built. Right. I, I talked with uh, the, the previous director there, Sarah Risty Davis, uh, a year or so ago, and she's gone on to other opportunities. Right. And I had a chance to meet the, the new director uh, last winter, and he was kind enough to show me around. Uh, it's not open to the public yet, but... Wow, is it impressive to see the the uh, skeletal remains of that ship 
to walk underneath and look up and, and get a sense how big it is and, and what it's like. When is that scheduled to open? Well, actually, we are open on a uh, for what uh, we are calling behind-the-scenes tours right now. <clears throat> we have a small exhibit on the history of the news, and uh, visitors are allowed to go up to our mezzanine level, uh, walk around, and uh, enjoy the views of the news, and also watch exhibit construction going on. So you really get a get a two-for-one here. Uh, you get to sneak a peek at the, uh, at the vessel herself, and uh, you also get to watch the process. We're finding people are oftentimes as interested in the process as they are the product. And so we're seeking opportunities in a variety of settings uh, to do that, have people uh, watch and uh, be able to ask questions about the process of what we're doing. But what we are open we are planning to have phase one of the exhibit, uh, that it would be the first floor, open in March of 2015. That, that would coincide with the Battle of Wise Fork and actually the scuttling of the vessel in 1865. Well, I, I will look forward to that. I have a, uh, there's a master's student here at East Carolina writing about the, uh, the, the folklore around the vessel after it uh, in the hundred years between its demise and when they first started pulling it up by bits and pieces in the 1960s, right. <laughs> a lot, a lot of folklore grew up around the ship, and she's been writing about that. While I'm bragging on my former students, uh, you mentioned historic Stagville, where yes. uh, uh, Stephanie Hardy, I believe, is the site director. Correct. Uh, she's also she she was one of my uh, actually my first graduate student to finish her thesis. Well, excellent, under excellent. My direction. I did not realize yeah. that. Uh, we just finished this past year. Partly my fault. I was too busy doing Civil War talk radio to spend enough time with her. But uh, you know, we're certainly proud of her as a as a ECU pirate, yeah, uh, uh, master's degree holder. And uh, our public history program here has contributed uh, a number of people to the system statewide. We're always interested in that. Another student is writing on the idea of an underwater historic site. Uh, you mentioned Fort Anderson. Right. And her research centers around the numerous vessels. I think she said there were five or six yes. Civil War era vessels in uh, the Cape Fear River there. Right. All in, in a, a close area. Is there any thought to, could, could the state support an underwater historic park for divers? There has been some discussion of it. Uh, we have been involved uh, in a little of that discussion, it uh, generally has been driven forward uh, by the Office of State Archaeology and its underwater uh, archaeology branch, which is located, uh, sort of shares some space at Fort Fisher with us. <laughs> but there, is, there are an amazing uh, number of vessels uh of shipwrecked vessels in the waters of North Carolina. Of course, we all know about the Outer Banks, but in the Wilmington area between uh, vessels of war and blockade runners, 
there's a great wealth of things, uh, great wealth of vessels there. And, uh, for instance, the CSS Raleigh is uh, one of those vessels. And uh, that was an ironclad that you might say had an even had a much shorter life than the noose. But, uh, you know, certainly the, uh, the National Park Service does some underwater uh, does some underwater parks and uh, even uh, mar- marine reserves, if you will, such as the one for the uh, uh, USS Monitor mm-hmm. off the North Carolina coast. And so that is uh, that is certainly an option uh, from our standpoint. If we were to administer such, we would obviously have to have more budget than we do now. Every time you add a site. Uh, regardless of its type and size, then you've got to have additional resources to commit and and sustain it. And uh, but I, it's it's certainly uh, from our point of view, it's a doable thing. Mm-hmm. There's just some some uh, <laughs> issues there, of there's logistics more than... and uh, mm-hmm. and finances to make such a reality, but it could be done. How many people work uh, uh, for the historic sites section? Well, after several budget cuts and reductions, uh, we administer 24 sites with 3,300 acres and 20 counties with a total staff of 145. Yeah, it's uh, not a lot, but uh, you know, it, 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 I guess it's... Uh, well, it is what it is. We're, we're, uh, you know, my listeners will will think I'm a broken record if I talk about budget cuts more. So I'll, I'll leave, well, I'll, I'll ask you this: um, Is how do you see the future uh, in in higher education? There's a real sense that we are never going back to the flush times of the past. That it's going to be paid for by individuals with tuition rather than by society as a whole. Uh, with whatever negative effects that, that creates. Uh, is the same thing happening with historic preservation? Is it going to be more dependent on donations from uh, people who are interested in the past and, and less supported by the taxpayer? The, it's clear that there is a trend, and I don't see the trend slowing down, of less government and more private. Uh, it it is a challenge to find that fine line. Uh, we see uh, literally what I call a tripod of support. And the way we're going to have to operate in the future is going to have to be on this tripod of support. And by a tripod, I mean three different sources of support. One, uh, To survive, we're going to continue to have to have a state appropriation to cover, at the very least, uh, staffing uh, and uh, what we would call fixed costs, staffing, utilities, supplies, etc. We see a second uh, part of this tripod, second leg of the tripod, if you will, as being uh, donations of dollars and in-kind services, 
from non-government sources. Might be individuals. Might be Civil War roundtables. It might be uh, organized 501c3 support groups, as we have in the Bennett Place Support Fund, Friends of Fort Fisher, Friends of Bentonville Battlefield, etc. And then the third, uh, and then the third tripod, third leg of the tripod, is earned income. Um, and that might be from a variety of things. Um, the idea of charging and admission has been a hotly debated issue, both at the state and federal level. Uh, even in best-case scenarios in dealing with historic sites and history museums, I'm not aware of too many of those that have their annual budget uh, that can account for more than about 30% at best from admission dollars. So if you survive on purely admissions and you have no other support, then you're basically cutting two-thirds of your budget, which is catastrophic. Mm-hmm. But using a combination of admissions and other ways of earned income, such as, uh, I'll give you a perfect example of the best one of our best practices approach to preservation, and that's at Bentonville Battlefield. Well, as most people know, particularly those who who study Civil War, most Civil War battlefields are far more heavily wooded than they were at the time of the engagements. Right. Because most of them, with certain exceptions like the wilderness, etc., occurred on farmland. The countryside was dotted with small family farms. The number of farms have dwindled as the size of those farms have increased. But we have been purchasing, again, with our partner, the Civil War Trust, key portions of the battlefield when they they come on market. And then what we do with many of those, particularly those which are tillable, is we turn around and we rent them to farmers, local farmers who want to uh, pasture livestock, who want to grow, grow a crop, because in essence, what we are doing is historic landscape restoration. We are returning the landscape that was farmed to active farming. So in a sense, these people are like reenactors 365 days a year, reenacting 19th century farming. Yes. Well, I mean, they're uh, although they're using modern methods Using modern now, tools, right. Um, many of the crops that are grown are the same crops. And so if you're out looking over a field where a crop would have been grown in March of 1865 you're going to see a crop growing in that field in 2015 or 2014 as we are this this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, That restores the landscape at no cost to the state. And then in addition, we get rent from those farmers. So not only does it not cost us anything, we make money. We preserve the landscape, 
And quite frankly, if you weren't going to till the property, then it would be allowed to grow up in grass and then uh, given the sort of mid-20th century mentality that all Civil War battlefields have to grow like golf courses and be manicured, which is not what the soldiers would have seen at all. Mm-hmm. Um, although the public, even today, often expects that. Uh, then you have to expend time and effort and manpower to mow. And so this is sort of the best. We generate revenue while doing historic landscape preservation and lessening our responsibility in actually being active in landscape management from a quote-unquote park setting, which is not even in most cases historic. So it's a win-win-win-win situation. So crop rentals, we rent for event spaces. Um, uh, For instance, uh, there might be a a corporate picnic or a meeting of the local historical society or whatever. We rent indoor and outdoor meeting space for those. Rather than charging for uh, (laughs) general admission, uh, and this is at all sites, but rather than charging for a general admission, which in most cases is practical, which mm-hmm. is impractical from the standpoint, and I'll again go to Bentonville Battlefield. Um, Bentonville ba- Battlefield is bisected by 14 miles of public road, which we we also patrol. Yeah, we have 2,100 no you acres. Could, you couldn't uh, the only way you're going to collect... Uh, an admission from everybody who uses any part of that battlefield is to fence 2,100 acres and 14 miles of public road. So you see how ludicrous a proposition it actually is. To yeah, quote, that's something you could not do. Charge admission. You, you, uh, even if it is was possible, we own multiple properties in a number of colonial towns: Bath, Edenton. Halifax, etc. We're not going to fence portions of town. Uh, you can't. Uh, we're intersected, uh, or we're interspersed there with government industry, uh, government buildings, private industry, private residences. But what we have found, Keith, I, I apologize. I'm going to have to to step in. We've got to the end of our hour sooner than ever expected. And, and uh, they're urging me along to let the next show on the air, so I've got to bring this to a close. But I want to thank you for uh, uh, all the insight into what goes into managing uh, NC Historic Sites. And I know a lot of our listeners will want to visit the sites you've talked about and contribute to the Bennett Place uh, acquisition. So thank you again for being on the show tonight. Well, thank you, and we appreciate the opportunity and uh, love to come back sometime and uh, talk about something else. But uh Thank you for your support and having us on. Uh, we'll, we'll do this again, I hope, soon. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.